Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. It's really cool to be able to do a podcast with your dad. My dad's Dan Roberts. He's the voice of the Utah Jazz, the inside voice of the Utah Jazz. And on this Father's Day, I just want to say, Dad, you're incredible. It's a true honor to be able to do this with you and have the relationship that we do. So happy Father's Day, Dad. And it's also such an honor to be a dad uh, to my incredible kids, Emma, Calvin, and Sophie. And my son Calvin does the music for our show, the intro and outro music. That's his voice, the last voice you hear on this podcast. So Calvin, thank you so much. And my dad uh, gets to introduce our next guest, who is the director of pro scouting for the Utah Jazz. And here comes Dan Roberts, my dad. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there that are listening to our show. Thanks so much for listening. Roberts, my son Jeremy, and I interviewing the person who was very, very pivotal in my life with the Utah Jazz, David Fredman, who was uh, a member of the original New Orleans Jazz and uh, dropped everything he had going on there when Sam Battistone announced he wanted to move, and David has been here ever since, bless his heart. Well, that's right. You know, I I did have a, uh, I did have a brief uh, time where I went and joined the Denver Nuggets for five years. But fortunately, Larry Miller uh, decided they would have me back. And so I was able to come back and work for the Jazz. But uh, it's been a great career for me. And, and you know, that's mainly because of my years with the Jazz. The association with the franchise has been just terrific for my life. Who was running Denver at the time, David? Um, Kiki Vandeway was the general manager. And Kiki is now in the league office uh he's like executive vice president of basketball operations and uh kiki was a general manager and jeff weltman who's now the president of the orlando magic was uh along with myself uh we were both assistant general managers under kiki and that was in uh we were there from 2001 uh through 2006 and uh so those were the five years we were in Denver. Wow. Did you, um, was it, did Jeff have a brother? Was it Harry? Was Am I thinking Harry? Is that a name? Yeah. Harry Weltman was Jeff's father. Oh, father. Uh, okay. Yeah. Who was uh, an NBA executive and also an ABA executive. He was with uh, St. Louis, wasn't he? Yes. With the spirits of St. Louis. Later, he was the general manager of, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Harry Weltman, and also the New Jersey Nets at the time. In my daytime life, I crossed paths with uh, with uh, Harry and his lovely wife at the time, and uh, I did a kitchen project for them, and that's how I met him. And uh, we spent an enormous amount of time talking about basketball. You can count on it. To the point where she said, shut up and let's do this. And so, Yeah. yeah. How does that, that cabinet open? Uh, his wife at the time was Arlene, and she worked in the NBA league office. I, I met her uh, separately from from Harry. Um, so before I ever knew Jeff. Wow, amazing! It's uh, it, to hear you guys, <laughs> you know, talk about. I mean, talk about this stuff is in, uh, incredible. The history and 
And, and for framework, David, were you in Denver uh, during the Carmelo Anthony and and uh, like were you there dur- like when they had it, when they signed Iverson, uh, or was that uh, just before? Or just no, after? that was right after. That was right after I left. They signed uh, <clears throat> the following season. They find they signed Iverson, but I was in Denver when we drafted Carmelo in two thousand three. So, okay, let's talk about that. And then we'll, we'll definitely get to the jazz. Cause I know everybody wants to talk about the jazz, but so you, did you, so you, did you scout Carmelo Anthony when, uh, before you guys drafted him? I did. I did. He was, uh, obviously a very good player, led Syracuse to the national championship in his one year there. Right. Um, so he was, a he was a talent. He's, uh, He's a prolific scorer as he still is today, but when he came out of school, he was a, a very good scorer. Was he was he uh, uh, one of the most NBA ready players you had seen in a while once you guys drafted him? You know, from an offensive standpoint, I think he was. You know, that was quite a draft to take people back. LeBron James went first. Um and Carmelo went third. Wow. That's always a trivia question. Who went second? Because uh, <laughs> Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were after right. um, Carmelo. And the second player picked was Darko Milicic. Milicic. Oh, okay. Milicic. Milicic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he was at uh, to Detroit? Detroit, yeah. He went yes, to yes, it was. It was, was to Detroit. Detroit. And, you know, they had, they had, um, they were a championship team right. right around that time and so they were able to sort of absorb that mistake <laughs> yeah that was kind of the beginning of the end for joe dumars i think i mean that that pick i mean it, and i get it i mean the the eastern uh, european players were pretty you know alluring i think more alluring at maybe at that point with less knowledge potentially and uh maybe thought he was uh being daft or something along those lines but man to pass up yeah you know know. we studied him quite a bit in denver and i'll be honest with you i i certainly did not uh think that he was going to be as big a bust as he ended up being you know (laughs) i thought he was a pretty good prospect when i when i scouted him over there so i wasn't totally surprised at the time you know it's almost like when you look back at different drafts and people ask me well gosh were you surprised when people went ahead of michael jordan and, you know, at the time, I really wasn't. Sure. You know, at, at that time, you know, you kind of understood what teams were thinking that, you know, obviously Elijah Wan went first and, um, you know, um, Portland had a had a pick before Jordan was picked. And, uh, Sam Bowie. You know, so they, yeah. they already had a guard. They had Clyde Drexler, so they didn't feel like they needed a, a wing player or a two guard. And, you know, at the time it wasn't as obvious as, as it was now. So, you know what they say about hindsight, it's 2020. Right. Was, was Abdel Nabi at uh, Portland then? Because we, we talked to him a couple of times. No, he hadn't yeah, he, he probably was around that time frame. You know, if it, maybe that was a little bit before, because I know he had a, he had a great college career at, uh, at Seton Hall. Uh, yeah, or Duke. I mean, I think he, he went, uh, to yeah, went to Duke. Yeah, yeah you're the, right. He you're played exactly with Quinn right. Snyder at Duke. Yeah. No, he did. He did. Those uh, those, those East Coast schools are kind of they all blend together at some point. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So, so what, what, talking about the draft, David, that, has that been your uh, specialty? Like, did you when you got into the NBA? I know you did a lot of different things, but how did you become um, an evaluator of talent? And was that something you aspired to do? You know, it really was uh, Bill Bertka, uh, who's uh, 
at 93 years old, he's still scouting for the Lakers. Wow. <laughs> is he really? Wow. Yeah, he wow. Is. That's and a Bill stellar. Bill was here in Salt Lake when the franchise moved here, and he was an assistant coach yeah, I remember for Tom Masalki yeah. right. before yes. he went back to the Lakers. And <laughs> Bill was the general manager of the New Orleans Jazz. Um, when I got my start, I was a student at Loyola University in New Orleans, and the Jazz were playing some home games there before the Superdome was built and was it was being built and before it was finished so i i met bill and he was the one that hired me and you know he kind of told me he said listen with your background having not been a college player having not you know been in coaching he said you'll get a chance one day if you're willing to come in through the front office and that's exactly what i did you know i was very fortunate to be able to get my foot in the door and i i worked in public relations and uh, I did about a little bit of everything, you know, uh, when I first started uh, way back in 1974, Jeremy, long before you were born. No, <laughs> no, I, I was three. I was three, actually, at that time, David. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, anyway, um, so, you know, it took me 13 years of working in the front office, doing a lot of different things, you know, including right. being in charge of PR and being in charge of the stat crew and the PA announcer. <laughs> I met Dan Roberts, and, you know, all, you know, marketing and broadcasting. I did a little bit of everything, but Bill was right because after about 13 years in the front office of doing many different things, you know, one of the things that I was in charge of one year was uh, with the jazz was uh when we decided to, we needed to play 11 home games in Las Vegas just oh, in order yeah. to oh, try boy, to keep the that. franchise going. Oh. And they sent me down there to open an office and do that. So, you know, I did a lot of things. But sure enough, after about 13 years, Frank Layden was the coach and uh, at GM at the time. And he came to me and said, you know, I know you've always wanted to get into basketball. You're always at practice trying to learn and doing a lot of scouting on your own and things like this and, you know, trying to do this. And he said, I got a position as a video coordinator. And uh, he said, I, I could hire a coach to do it, but you've been loyal. You've been good. And I, I want to give you a chance to do it. And so I did it and he, you know, named me an assistant coach at the time. And uh, that's sort of how I got into basketball. And from that, you know, I got into the scouting aspect of it too, because staff's, were much smaller at the time. Sure. And, you know, even on the basketball side, you had to be able to do a little bit of everything. So I did some pro, which is what we call advanced scouting, where you're looking at the other teams and their their offenses and their plays. And, you know, we didn't have the budget. A lot of teams did. So I did some of that traveling, but a lot of it on videotape. And then from there, they decided that, you know, we need some more help um, in scouting and, and with the draft and colleges. And so I was out on the road quite a bit then, uh, that started a string of about, uh, many years of about 20 days a month on the road, uh, oh, wow. looking at players and everything. And Hey, if, if that's what you do and you learn to love it and, you know, that's been the hardest part about the changes that we're all going through now, uh, with this pandemic is I, I'm just, 
I'm I'm like not used to being home a lot. So I I feel bad for my wife. You know, she's not used to having me around. You know, people, you know, God willing, I'm married to a wonderful uh, Salt Lake girl that I met after I moved here from New Orleans. Uh, My wife, Sheila, you know, if she doesn't leave me before September 8th, you know, it'll be 35 years we've been married. (laughs) Wow, that's cool. We have. We have two grown children that were born here in Salt Lake, but uh, people always ask me, what's the, what's the key to this successful marriage? And I said, being gone 20 days a month. <laughs> that always helps. You miss each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, fondness makes exactly. the heart grow. <laughs> she doesn't have to put up with me, but, you know, God bless her. I, I knew I had a chance when we decided to get married because she had a background as a special ed teacher. So oh, she that's has cool. a lot of patience. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, that, that started the string of, you know, me being scouting and getting into that. And so uh, they added to my title as assistant coach back then as director of scouting. And I had that until I went to Denver as assistant general manager. And, um, you know, we won a division in Denver and, they made a management change. So Kiki, myself, and Jeff Weltman, after winning a division in 2006, we were all out of work. And uh, that's when they had the Utah Flash, Jeremy, and I know yeah. you're familiar with that, as is Dan. And yep. uh, they started a, a D-League team, which is now the G-League in Orem. And uh, they they called me and asked me if I'd come down and run that team. And I said, sure, I did. And uh I did that for a year while doing some part-time work for the jazz. And then uh, it's funny how things happen in, in basketball. You know, when I left here uh, to go to Denver, I recommended to Kevin O'Connor that he hire Walt Perrin and he did. And Walt had a very successful career here yes, with very, the jazz yeah. and he just went to the Knicks and yep. um, big loss. That's but a big Walt loss. had hired a guy by the name of Troy Weaver, who just yesterday was named the new general manager of the uh, Detroit Pistons. Oh, and wow. So, I didn't know that. Uh, Walt, Walt had hired uh, Troy as a scout and Troy left the jazz and became uh, a scout for the Oklahoma city thunder. And when that happened, Kevin, uh, called me and asked me if I'd come back and be the head scout for the jazz. And I said, yeah, of course I would. I said, I, <laughs> I couldn't do it quick enough. And uh, right. so I've been yes. back with the jazz ever since. And, you know, it, it's been fun. I've had different titles. My current titles, director of pro player personnel. So as I started to tell you without getting too long winded is that they, when Dennis Lindsay got here, you know, he came from San Antonio and Houston where they had had a bigger scouting staff and that's what he wanted to do. So we had never had a pro personnel department. He asked me if I would take over that. I said, of course I'll do whatever, you know, I could do. I'd known Dennis and I, I had brought his name up when Kevin O'Connor called me and told me he was thinking about retiring and moving on. And Hmm. he asked me if I had any names and I go, I got one name for you and it's Dennis Lindsay. And while I can't take credit, uh, you know, I do feel good. You know, they, Kevin and Randy Rigby at the time and, and the Miller family, they made a decision to hire Dennis, but I do take pride in the fact that I was the first person to bring up Dennis's name, but to make a longer story short, uh, they made me director of pro player personnel. And that's the title I have now, even though as I, uh, get into more advanced stages of my career. I still love doing what I'm doing, but you know, I've, I've let some of the younger guys take over some of the other duties. And I kind of now like scouting 
everything like college, well, uh, the cool. G League, and uh, the other NBA teams. And I get to do a little bit of everything because, you know, the Jazz have been very good to me in that way. So um, when you think back, basically, around the time that you hired me, do you think that was the beginning of your scouting career or scouting interests when you hired me? Well, I, you know, I do. I, it, it's funny, you know, things that cross your mind. And, uh, you know, when you're fortunate enough, and I am very fortunate, you know, I'm living the dream and I've been doing it for a long time. You know, you take somebody that, you know, never had a chance to, you know, be an NBA player or whatever and to, to have the great career I've had, I, I've always known it was great, you know, when you can wake up and, and your job is something that you like, I've always told people my vocation's my avocation. You know, yeah, I love, sure, precisely. I always love basketball, and but you you look you look back over different decisions you've been made, you've been involved in, and you know, listen, you, you're not in this business as long as I have, and you have good and bad decisions. So right. let's not you know let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> you know, you're gonna you're gonna every decision's not going to be good, but. It's funny, I was talking to Walt when he got the job in New York, and, and I told him, I said, Walt, I'm really proud of you. I said, you know, when you look back over a career, I said, two things stand out, at least that day when I had talked to Walt when he took the New York job was that I said, you know, I said, I hired Dan Roberts, and he's still going strong today, and I recommended you for the job here, and uh you know, I, you feel good about those things. And as I said, I'm not taking responsibility for hiring Dennis Lindsay, but I will, I will take some credit of being the first person to maybe mention his name. Well, the but bug in the ear, he, that's, uh, that's worth the, uh, almost a hiring it, right there. Exactly. Absolutely. And then, you know, I, I got another one because, you know, you come up with good or bad ideas sometime. And, you know, Dennis has always made it known to people that have asked. I mean, he obviously made the decision to hire Quinn Snyder, but he always brings up. He said, well, Freddie, you were the first person to mention his name to me. Sure. And, uh, you know, just when when we were obviously going a different direction and, you know, he Dennis is being the type of uh executive in person he is he he's not afraid to hear ideas from the staff and you know he goes give me some ideas you know and so you know obviously i'd watched uh quinn coach in the g league when he was with austin and, and their teams david right there i just yeah. want that here and i've i got a chance to meet quinn a couple of times and the uh, one time i actually got to talk with him briefly i'd mentioned this and when when you were uh at the d league when we were doing the flash i was a pa announcer there it right. was it was obvious to me that his teams were so that, that to me it looked like their his teams were so much better coached. I know that's not proper grammar, but they just they stuck out. The systems they ran, the the um, the discipline they had on as a as a D league team, you just didn't see that. And yeah, no, you're and, right. And I remember watching them and, and thinking because, you know, it, we knew that Corbin was struggling and that it pretty much kind of looked like he'd lost the team at that point. And, you know, I remember thinking, man, we this is a guy that would be a perfect fit for the Jazz. And because of it, it, it just every detail was immaculate. And so it's it's interesting to hear you say that. And forgive me for interrupting you there. I just it's no, uh, it's a, it, it know, was fun to see that. that one of the things that, that Quinn's really impressed me with, not, you know, with, uh, away from the actual game, which which he's very good at managing games. Okay, take that aside. He's the best I've ever seen in my long career at player development. Yeah. I mean, he has a plan for every 
every player and he has assistant coaches that obviously can implement the plans, but uh, he is very, very good at getting players better. And that's the jazz, uh, the modern day jazz have really, um, you know, sort of hung their hat on a, a team that if, if a player comes here, they're going to be get better. And, and Quinn has a lot to do with that. During the timeouts, it's always fun to look over there and realize how much skilled he is in communication with the younger guys. And, uh, you know, you, you go back to bless his heart and rest his soul, Jerry Sloan. You did what he said, and you didn't question it. And so Quinn, on the other hand, explains in uh, rational terms of, from my point of view, and he gets communication across relative to his skills in communicating. I think that's a major, major benefit and something that you don't see too often in a coach. No, that's true. I mean, I, I, I will say this is that Jerry always, um, whether it was his staff as an assistant coach that I was on it for 15 years or, or I worked with him, Frank was the coach the first couple of those years, but, um, Jerry was never afraid. And he always told the players, Hey, if you got a better idea, you know, we can talk about it, but you know, not necessarily during the game or as Frank Layden once told Ricky green during a game, you know, he wanted him to get up and guard somebody at the end of a quarter and Ricky kind of slacked off and the guy makes a shot at the buzzer. And he's Ricky's explaining why he didn't get up and play him. Cause he thought he might drive around him and Frank's going, Hey, this isn't a debate. Right. <laughs> this isn't a game. right. So we're not debating. <laughs> this is what I want you to do. But yet, That's you know, funny. a lot of coaches, you know, Jerry was never afraid to have players discuss things with him, but sure. obviously he wanted it done. His you know, way. not during the game, yeah, right? Precisely. Well, and it, it's in part of communicating is is listening, and you know that that's I think when I, just observing it, and I've you know I, I've watched basketball my my whole life. I play it you know recreationally and whatnot, but I um and so I don't have that skill that that you have an experience. I I watch it you know I try to divest myself of being a fan, but anyway, it it seems like his ability to communicate and listen to what players are doing both verbally and non-verbally is really helps them in developing players because every player has a different set of skills and if you try to develop a player outside of what they're capable of doing it can make them dejected and it can really hurt their arc and I think that that's what's impressed me the most about their player development and Quinn's player development plan is that he seems to really accentuate the skills that players naturally possess which brings them along in the other things that maybe they're not as good at, but gets them to a higher level than they may have attained otherwise. Well, yeah, you know, it gets back to kind of common sense with this and, you know, any of us that have ever tried to play golf and, you know, I always say that because I love to play and I'm not really that good at it, but I love to play. Right. And, and it's like when you go out and practice, which isn't very often, but, you know, how many guys practice on their weaknesses? You know, mm -hmm. guys that like to hit it off the tee, that's what they're doing. So how many guys are practicing at their short game or whatever? And that that is a key part of coaching is is to uh, get them to work on their weaknesses, but yet also, you know, keep their confidence going by getting them to even get better at their strengths. And Quinn does a great job at that. Is your job, David, now with the modern NBA and, and is it a lot different than it used to be with the, well, you know, we always compare it to the NBA of the nineties, maybe the early two thousands, but with the more open style that, that is played, is it a different type of scope that you have versus what the, the game used to be? Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I knew, 
I knew Jerry and, and even before that, Frank, um, and, and, and a lot of things. And Jerry always admitted it, that, that made Jerry a great coach, but he kept a lot. He wasn't insecure enough. Jerry was secure enough. He kept a lot of the ideas that Frank had instilled mm. and then just, wow, you know, built on those. Mm. And so I, I pretty much knew, uh, based on the system and everything that, you know, Jerry and, and, the great Phil Johnson, I say the great Phil, because I'm not sure Phil ever got enough credit for what an X and O whiz he was. Um, you know, they, they could, they could, uh, tweak the system a little bit and they did, but it was still, you know, the best system that we had with the, with point guards like Ricky green and then John Stockton to put the ball in their hands and then, you know, run the wings through and, and all of that, and then have the great post-up players that they had of the day. Now the game has changed in the fact that there's very few post-up players anymore. Uh, the, the day of the pass first point guard is, is sort of not really what the NBA is anymore. So yeah, the game has changed, but when you're looking for players, you know, I think that one thing that doesn't change, you're looking for talent. Obviously we all know that NBA players have great talent and the opponents are great. So you better have great talent, but we're looking for guys. What hasn't changed is we're looking for guys that want to win, that care about winning, you know, um, without trying to give away too many secrets, I'll give away one secret that we always try to find out. And that we ask players when we get a chance to interview them. And it's, it seems simple, but it, it's kind of interesting, or I've always found it interesting as we go, do you like to win or do you hate to lose? <laughs> interesting. Wow. And, and because That's... everybody likes to win, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. We all like to win, but who really hates to lose? I mean, you know, if you just watch the last dance and if you, if you didn't learn anything else from watching that about the great Michael Jordan, he hated to lose. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. You watch John Stockton over the years. He hated to lose. Same with Carl Malone. I right. Mean, great competitors, you know, yeah, they like to win. Everybody likes to win. And that's why you see guys that are really superstars. They play great on the road too, because it's harder. Yes. You know, yeah. They hate to lose so much that they're going to give the same effort, if not more on the road under tough circumstances, uh, because they, they hate to lose and that's the competitive spirit. So that part hasn't changed, but yet, you know, where my idea of a point guard after having stocked in for so many years and even Ricky green is, you know, being able to get the ball inside, being able to make their teammates better. And you're still looking for players like that, but a point guard in today's game better be able to score, especially if he's got the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock. So, it has changed, you know, different positions have changed. As I mentioned earlier, there's not as many post-up players, you know, shooting bigs are a big thing now, right. you know, obviously the jazz were ahead of that when, when memo Mehmet Okur was here, he oh. was a little bit ahead of his time. He was you man. Know, he now, would be, Oh, he would just eat up this, this version of the NBA. You would, Oh yeah, man. no, yeah. he, he really wasn't. And, and you know, because of that, now you have more space on the floor. Right. Uh, and so now you got guys that can get to the basket and beat their guys one-on-one and things like that. So there's a part that has changed, but on the other hand, the basic part hasn't is that you want guys that care about winning, right? You know, not just great talent, but they really want to win and they're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes, whether it's their game or, you know, you hear a lot of selfish players in the league always talking about, well, the coach is messing with my game. 
right. instead of worrying about the team's game. So that hasn't changed. See, that's the question I was going to ask. Is the concern about losing predicated on I got to win, I got to beat this team, I get to score because I think I can score and I don't care about the other players, or is it a team I hate to lose? I mean, you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, Sure. Because that's what I see. I see on the court a bunch of greedy young kids throwing the ball up as much as they can, and some keep going in and some don't. So I'm wondering about where the team game goes. Well, and, and Dan, that's a good point. But I, I think that uh, when you look around and you look at the good teams, you don't see as much of that. Right. Now you, you, you look at you look at the teams that aren't as good and you, you you look at guys trying to find their niche and this, that and the other, you know, then you're gonna see some selfishness or you know, guys just trying to find their rhythm or, or their place in an NBA system. Um, and nobody likes to play with selfish guys. I always I always use this phrase, but as time goes on, people don't know what I'm talking about. So you guys remember the old Deseret gym, which was downtown. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> and in my younger days, I used to go down there at noon all the time and, and play. Right. And, you know, there were some former, uh, former NBA and ABA players that would play down there. And, you know, you get some pretty good games. But I used to say, hey, I wouldn't want to play with this guy at the Deseret gym, <laughs> which, which, was, which was about the highest level I could ever personally play at. But I left That's funny. Play. That's very but, funny. You know, a selfish player, nobody really wants to play with. No. You know, it's more fun when you share the ball. And I think that's another great thing that Quinn has brought to the Jazz, you know, the passes per possession and all of that. You know, everybody shares the ball. And selfishness, you know, not that nobody will take a bad shot every now and then. Sometimes the shot clock's winding down or whatever it is, or you make a mistake. But for the most part, the good teams don't have a lot of selfishness. Now, you know, you can argue, you go, well, what about James Harden? Well, precisely my point. Exactly what I was going to ask you. (laughs) Well, they've, they've worked their offense around that. Right. Put other shooters around him and, you know, his assist. Now he has the ball so much. His assist numbers are pretty good as opposed to, you know, his turnovers. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad shot if they go in and, you know, his shooting percentage is not terrible. So he gets to the foul line a lot and all of that. So there's, you know, as we always used to say, and, and again, I always date myself because the sayings are so old, but they all make sense, is there's many ways to skin a cat. Right. And as long as Coach Sloan used to say this, it's there's many ways to play this game, but as long as we're all on the same page about what we're trying to do, then you have a chance to be successful. So along those lines, and, and, and bringing up Harden, like I, I get, you know, his skill is incredible. I still struggle watching him. Like that, that style of basketball to me is just uh, is is boring i mean it it you know it's like a one four offense you know and you just wait for him to you know you might get a backdoor cut or, or whatever it is and i and again i don't want to diminish his skill i just don't i don't like that style of offense but let's transition to the jazz and talk about um, specifically what you look at in 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 this team because it's you know that the jazz fan base is more engaged and energetic than it has been in a long time. And it's, you know, because of the the promise that the team holds. And it's kind of like what the Jazz were maybe in the in the late 80s, early 90s when there was that promise, you know, the hope that they could continue and improve. So let's start with, with Donovan Mitchell. And, and when you, you know, see a player like that and you see him all the time, what what is going to make him better? Because I think he's a great player, but he, he just hasn't he, – he, 
hasn't shown that he will take over games at the right time. And sometimes he does, but, and I think no, he has a bit. No, you're right, but I mean, you know, he's still a relatively young player. I mean, this is, this true. is you know, the, uh, unfortunately, if you look at his numbers and his projections, you know, they're on the way up. Yes. And uh, I think right now as a, as a franchise, we're still looking at what is his best position? Or is he is he strictly one of those guys that can play either guard spot? Um, you know, and and I think moving forward, that's going to be interesting in how how we build the team as as members of the Jazz front office and coaching staff. Um, but I do think that he's got another he's got another level he can get to. Um, what does he need you know, to do to get there? That was the my question. Like I and I agree with you, but. With a player well, like him with that know, much talent, is it is it mental or is it the team putting him in the right spots? What are some things that could get him to the next level? Well, you know, I think right now, you know, you've seen a little bit of a change. Now, whether or not it's been positive or negative, I think that still uh, remains to be seen. Um, we, we changed the team quite a bit this past year. Right. In other words, we went from the second best team in the league defensively uh, to about the 11th best, I think. Um by adding Bojan Bogdanovic and losing Derek Favors. Right. Uh, that, you know, it still remains to be seen how that's going to all play out. You know, Bojan's out uh, for hopefully we're going to resume and, and we're going to see where we are. I, I do think that the team has a chance to be better defensively, but where can we replace the points? I think part of the thought process in making the changes that we made uh, getting Mike Conley, and now that you know, hopefully Mike's healthy, and we're all very op- we're all very optimistic that he's going to come back and be a big contributor as we uh, head down the stretch and uh, you know get into the playoffs. But obviously, we're not the same we were defensively, and uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and that circles back to what does what do we need to do as a team to help Donovan take the next step because. You know, the thought process was, well, maybe in the playoffs that we were eliminated from, you know, against Houston, they could kind of key on Donovan. We didn't have much else to score. So we decided to go change the offense around. Well, you know, we did it, but statistically we did it um, and we sacrificed some defense. Yes. And so it's a it's a philosophical thing, you know, and I I think as a front office, we debate that all the time and sometimes heatedly. Um, you know, what, what we need to do, you know, are we better now? We may be more fun to watch, you know, because people like to watch offense, but is the team better? Right. You know, we were pretty, we were pretty good when Derek and Rudy were out there. Now we've got statistics to show that, you know, we weren't as productive sometimes offensively, but we were hard to score against. Very hard. I guess that's true. So we're, we're hard on ourselves when it comes to that. And, you know, we're, when we make changes like that, you know, we, we do it with, with the best interest in mind, but we have to see how it works out. And you almost have to go through a whole normal regular season and playoffs to see where you're at, what you need to do. But, you know, we feel Donovan has the physical and mental makeup to make that next step. I think that, you know, it's tough when you're a player like Donovan and people start comparing you early in your career to players, but that's what we do when we evaluate him. And he does have a lot of the same characteristics that Dwayne Wade had. Mm-hmm. Now, some things he may be able to 
get better at than Dwayne was and maybe some levels he doesn't reach that you know we don't know it's still too early to tell but to get back to your original question I I do think that he has another level he can get to and I think that just by osmosis um if my old science teacher's listening he would if he was still alive, he'd probably have a coronary. But we talk about osmosis. But, As a matter of fact, you uh, remember the word, yeah. right? Yeah, but you know, I, I think he's going to get better, and then I think as, as his coaching staff and the Quinn's leading, he's going to figure out how we put him in a position to get better. But the more offense we have around him, the less teams can key on him. And, and so I think that's that's a key, you know. And and it's not just Bojan, and it's not just Mike. Mike Conley, you know, we've added uh, Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson, another yeah. good score, which I think can Great take addition. some heat off of, uh, off of Donovan. And and so I do think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if you go back to the jazz teams of the nineties, uh, especially the late nineties, which was the high point of the franchise to this point, you know, Carl uh, Malone was always a great score. Uh, but when we got Hornacek, you know, that sort of helped him and sure. opened things up. He was harder to double. Of course, the rules were a little bit different then. And, you know, the court was spaced a little bit different. But, you know, Brian Russell's coming along and developing. That helped Carl. Um, you know, John being able to get to the basket on the pick and roll. All those things helped when we added Shandon Anderson, you know, in the open court, things like that. So I think all those things will eventually help Donovan also. Do you, um, I read an article in ESPN a couple of days ago implying that Donovan was heading for a 120 when he gets a contract time. Is he, uh, is he, is he planted here? Do you think we can keep him on that basis? And I don't mean to throw you under the bus with that question, but it's always, always in my mind when I watch him play. Well, and you know what? It has to be. And again, you know, being in this market, you know, we're, we're wounded already. We've, you know, we've had a, we've had a great player that we drafted and developed leave us. Gordon Hayward left us. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm a great believer in the rules. I think, you know, a lot of people got upset and I understand fans getting upset, but I think if a guy, one of the things about Gordon, in my opinion, he gave, he gave us everything he had. And the rules said he could leave and he wanted to go play for his old college coach or whatever reason. And and he he left. And so I know that people will get paranoid. You worry about it. Can we keep Donovan? But, you know, I think Donovan has shown that he likes Salt Lake. Um, But, you know, Donovan wants to win. And I think he believes this this group can win. But, you know, you never really know. I I do think that uh, we have a great chance to keep Donovan. I think he likes our front office i think he likes our coaching staff i think he likes his teammates but you know nobody can answer that question except for donovan mitchell when the time comes yeah i get that so moving on and i i agree and the in talking about the rules i mean the rules do favor the jazz with regard to rookie contracts and extensions and matching and all sure. that so that's that is in the jazz's favor right now uh with moving to rudy so and and you know his his the way he affects a game I think is just incredible and I I don't think that it's possible unless you are a very high high IQ basketball fan to really gather all the immense ways that he affects a game. One of the ways he does affect it, it is offensively, but he also is limited offensively. So with regard to Rudy, can is he at his ceiling offensively, or is there? Do you see the ability to add? 
maybe, you know, within a five to 10 foot, um, that, you know, getting better and more comfortable in that range in game situations versus practice? Well, I, I do think that, you know, Rudy's a, a tremendous worker and has tremendous work ethic and he takes tremendous pride in what he does. So I do think there's a little bit of a left, you know, a little bit of a ceiling left in Rudy's development offensively. The one thing that we don't talk about that much that I think Rudy can really help with is uh, as the court is more spread out these days is Rudy's a good passer. Yeah. And he likes to pass. And so, you know, he can help us in that way as well as scoring. But he's pretty hard to stop. And teams have done a pretty good job of trying to figure out what they need to do to stop that lob. Um, you know, that's pretty effective and a pretty high percentage shot. But, you know, I know fans, you know, we used to get the same thing about Mark Eaton. All the time. You know, yep. and then and then when Mark was gone, it's goes, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to stop teams from scoring? Right. You know, Mark was two-time defensive player of the year and led the league in defensive rebounds and, you know, all of those things. You know, plus Mark, with his physique, was one of the best screeners to ever play in this game. Oh. You know, it's funny wh- whether – whether it was Hornacek or prior to that, Jeff Malone, as soon as they, they got here, they knew which side they were coming off when we used to run a play called single double where there was a double screen on one side or a single screen, which wherever Mark was is where they wanted to come off because that was the best <laughs> screen. And and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, fans have to really take a look and and say, how does he affect the game? And you mentioned it. I mean, overall, very few players with that length and that mobility affect the game um so you know i do think he's got another level to improve a little bit but will he ever be as good of a shooter or offensive player as he is defensive player shot blocker rebounder probably not but But the jazz don't need that though i don't think that they need him to be that good they just you know i think you know but for his drive and going back to what you're talking about his work ethic i think that you know, if he could, because I think he has the the hands and the skill to do it. It's just getting comfortable in game situations when you're getting bumped, and it's just you're at a different you know, level of intensity to be able to gather yourself and hit some of those little more agility based shots that I do think he can do. The one time yeah. I, I the one time I saw him cave in though was two years ago with Adetokounmpo got on him and uh, just was beating him up and throwing him around. And he came out and then Favors came in and put the clamp on Adetokounmpo. It was very cool to watch that happen. But Rudy got flustered. But the next time we played Milwaukee, the next year, he came back and and, and did a great job on Adetokounmpo. Yeah, that goes back to his pride that I talked about earlier and his competitiveness. So, yeah, you know, he, he figures it out. And he's a he's a very uh, valuable valuable piece, uh, I think, to what we try to do. And you know, you talk about uh, how does he affect Donovan's game? And I, you know, and and again, I think either one of those guys could be successful, on, you know, without each other. But I think together, they're they're they make our team a lot better together. For sure, for sure. Let's uh, let's talk about development and. The, the jazz are uh, it, it seems like the jazz yourself uh, you know the entire scouting team is just active constantly um it, that there's a lot of diverse use of two-way contracts calling people up keeping contracts pretty fluid at the at, quote-unquote at the end of the bench so that you can uh like a rajon tucker that that you guys signed um that the, so 
how do you see the uh, uh, talk about the importance of developing in the G League as uh, as the rules get tighter for being able to send people back and forth and also about how valuable draft assets are to teams and especially small market teams in developing uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I think they're very valuable. And I think, you know, um, you know, again, you know, I've, I've been responsible when they called on me to bring up guys and I brought, had guys brought up and, you know, they didn't work out at all, but then every now and then, you know, you're responsible for bringing a guy in like Royce O'Neal and uh yeah. you know all of a sudden that hits and that's very important to a small market team um you know if you can bring a guy to minicamp like we were able to do with royce and then you know we didn't get him that year but we kept following him and kept on him and you know um we were eventually able to secure him and then you know again through the player development you know his, his game came around and and he became a good fit so all of that is important um, as well as drafting guys. So it, it's, it's very important and probably more so in a small market, um, you know, that, that doesn't maybe have the free agent allure that some of your warm weather destinations and, and all of that have. Um, but you know, sometimes Dennis Lindsay will good naturedly, you know, we get on each other good naturedly a lot. Sometimes it's not as good natured, but he'll <laughs> say, Hey, He'll say to me, "Hey, Freddie, how long are you going to hang your hat on Royce O'Neal?" As long as he's here, Dennis, because I've, I've had some guys that we brought up that didn't work out so well. So, you know, obviously, as I said, you know, nobody's a genius in this. You know, you you take your shot and you take your chances. And you know, for me, uh, as a scout, overall, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I knew Frank, I knew Jerry, I knew the system it's taken a while to learn Quinn's system and learn types of players that are going to be better in this system than, than in the system that I was used to. So, you know, that's all very important uh, part of scouting. And, you know, sometimes you, I, I love the two ways because it gives you a chance to take a look at a guy. And if you don't like him, you can switch the two ways and you don't have as much lost. And so I love the whole G league aspect of it where you can sign guys to what they call exhibit 10 contracts where you bring them to training camp, you give them an extra $50,000. And and then if, if they don't make the parent team, then, you know, they're the property of the G league team and Bart Taylor, who's now running the Utah stars and who I worked with and mentored. And I always joke about that. I said, yeah, I used to mentor Bart. Now he mentors me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he did a great job with the stars of putting together a roster and, and really and, successful. And, last year, yeah. and uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens now in scouting. And I think those things are very important because not only, you know, if you have a high draft pick, I mean, and look, Dennis Lindsay's done a terrific job and the fact that, you know, I wasn't as sure as he was on Donovan Mitchell. Mm. You know, I, I kind of liked Trey Lyles when we traded him. And, uh -huh. You know, we, you know, and I didn't know that Donovan, you know, I looked at Donovan. I, I obviously wasn't in charge of the college in those years, but I watched video of him and I thought, gosh, he's a small two guard. You know, is he Avery Bradley? Not that he's a bad player, but I wasn't as sure. Now, 
as soon as he showed up for summer league, I said, Oh, Dennis, good pick. You know, Dennis did a wonderful job. And then you figure that we bought and the Miller family allowed us to do that for $3 million. We bought the 27th pick in the draft when, and, and we turned it into Rudy Gobert. So, you know, Dennis deserves so much credit for things like that. Um, you, you have to get a little lucky and you have to do your homework and, and things like that. But those are things you need to do, especially in a small market to, to be able to compete with the big boys. What's it like in a, in a draft table at night that night? Is it, uh, is it more electric than you can even begin to imagine? Well, you know, it sort of is, but it's almost like it's a little bit like coaching or anything else, um, Dan, or, you know, even, even when you do, uh, the PA or Jeremy, you do the PA, whatever, whenever things like that, the more prepared you are, the better you are able to react to situations. So usually it's, it's like a game. If you're prepared, you know, for what the other team's doing or your own game plan or whatever, it's a lot easier to implement the draft is much the same way. You know, a lot of the work is done before, you know, you're, you're at the draft, you're in the draft room or at the draft table. Um, you know, things are coming fast and furious, but your preparation, if you've prepared to succeed, then you're going to do a lot better. How do you, when you're, when you're drafting, especially later in the draft, do most teams know what the teams ahead of them are going to do? Like how, uh, how willing are the teams that are drafting ahead of you to give up the information about who they like so that you can try to prepare whether it's to draft somebody that you like and that's high on your list or prepare to make trades and have them in the works if certain things fall into place. You know, you, you have to figure, uh, first of all, how does it fit your team? Because every player that may not fit your team as well as they may fit another team. Sure. Um, so in other words, you know, you, you don't have to win every trade because I do think trades could be good for both teams. Uh, you know, we drafted Dante Exum. He obviously had some injury problems and didn't work out. But yet I thought it's a, it was a very good deal for Cleveland based on where they were in rebuilding to try to trade for Dante. There was no pressure to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they had more time to develop Dante and the fact that he had injuries that hurt them. So, you know, I still have I still have hopes because he's such a good kid that Dante has a good career with Cleveland. Yeah. But yet we got Jordan Clarkson, who has helped us immediately. And, uh, you know, he wasn't going to do the same for Cleveland because they weren't a playoff team. Not to be you little know, Dante, so, but that, I think Clarkson is, uh, I mean, oh, no question. infinitely What we needed better. at the time. Yes. But yet, you know, it, but who knows what's going to be, you know, three to five years from now and all that. I, I think Cleveland, you know, they, they took a pretty good chance in, in what they were doing because they knew they weren't going to keep Jordan Clarkson. So why not roll the dice? And you can do things like that when your team is not expected to compete and win and win playoff series and, and all of that. So, you know, the, there's always those factors, but, you know, to get back to your question, do you know what teams are going to do? You don't, you know, we, we have what we call Intel. You try to, you try to um, get as much information as you can, but you also have to know who you like, who you're going to target. That's Dennis has done a great job of that. You know, we knew we liked Rudy. So he, he was going to figure out, as the draft was going on and Rudy was still available, what teams might be uh, willing to trade or sell a draft pick. And that's how we got Rudy or, 
we knew that Dennis liked Donovan and we convinced Donovan's agent that we know he won't be available. We're, we're picking, but we w- we're going to try to move up to get him. So if you'll let him come in here for a workout and an interview, um, which, which his agent did, and then we were able to pull the trigger and, you know, uh, and that's how you, you're able to do things like that. But I think it's as much as is put on what other teams are doing, mm-hmm. you've got to figure out who you like and who you might target if that guy's available or if you need to jump up and get him. And uh, Jazz have been very aggressive in the in the Dennis Lindsay years of doing that. So you can, and you know what, Kevin O'Connor did that too with Darren Williams. Right, you can do that. I mean, you could, and forgive me the the callous observation. You could change your mind during the course of a draft if it's if it's necessary and you can put all the parts and pieces together. I mean, that happens, right? No, it does happen. But, you know, I think the thing is you got to be somewhat disciplined and you don't want to make a deal just because of, you know, you think you'll, you'll win a press conference. Right. I you got to really make sure that's what you want to <laughs> do. And sometimes, you know, we say this at the trade deadline and we've said it for years and all teams say it in all sports. Sometimes the best deals are the ones you don't make. But right. some teams just they 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 can't stand it. They they got to make a trade, so they're gonna no. We need to shake things up, so they'll make a trade, and, and it ends up being a bad trade. Yeah, that's how it. you make bad deals, just because you feel like you have to do something. You have to show you're doing something. So uh, before we wrap up, and this is uh, this is awesome, David, and uh, we definitely want to do this again. You know, once we we could probably talk know, to you for another uh, week or well, so. for sure. But when we you know finally get in the season and we have that you know minuscule off season, uh, if we could have you back on again to talk about uh, other jazz stuff, that would be, that would be great. Your your knowledge is incredible. So yeah, I totally want to. Uh, That'd be my pleasure. Uh, we saw it's it's just uh, uh, it, the, the story is everything. So. Uh, as as we depart, if uh, and I know you have to uh, be specific on on players and whatnot, and and if you can give Jazz fans a couple of players, whether it's G League or uh, in talking generally about in, in general terms about college or whatever, can you give Jazz fans an idea of maybe some future things to look for so they can kind of put it on their radar and and watch a couple of people. Well, you know, I, I think it's hard to do, and, I, and, and I'm not skirting the question because, again, we have deadlines uh, that the NCAA has. You know, we still don't really know who's in the draft right. when you're right. talking about the draft um, because they have, I think it's, uh, there's like an August 3rd deadline when guys can decide if they're, they want to go back to college or if they're going to stay in the draft. So it's, we have to prepare, like at this point, everybody's in the draft that their name's out there, but then they may decide to go back to school. So that'll narrow it down as we move forward. How about we've uh, never been in a situation like this? Oh yeah. Then it's unprecedented. And uh, forgive me for uh, interjecting. I just had a name that came to my mind. I think I can give it to you. And uh, Yoli Childs locally uh, with a BYU product, a lot of talent. Where, where can you see him fitting into the NBA? Well, I've always liked Yoli. I just kind of like his game. And I think this year he took a big step in showing that he can make a three-pointer. You know, I like his length and uh, I like his ability to compete. And then, you know, the very, uh, all the intel that I have on him is he's, he's a wonderful guy and uh, a hard worker. So I do think he's got a chance to play in the NBA. Now, 
you know, he's got to get in the right situation. And, you know, who knows if he goes with the team that has a roster spot or not. That's, sure. There's so many things that are subjective. But, you know, Yoli Childs is going to make money playing basketball somewhere, whether it's here or overseas. But in my opinion, he does have enough talent to be in the NBA. Perfect. That, that, that's uh, that, and I appreciate that. That's uh, that, that's that's great information. The time so. I saw him play, he was he's pretty tough. You yeah. can see it in his eyes. He could recognize the uh, superiority that he had occasionally on an on an opponent. Well, I, I like that. You know, it's crazy because he's I think twenty three or twenty four, and in the modern NBA, a lot of people consider that a negative because he's quote unquote too old. old yeah. You know, and because you're looking at developing players and their upside, but. You know, to have that maturity and uh, and to be able to have that kind of skill and willing to to mold, um, you know, I think I think he does have a good shot to fit in somewhere and and uh, have a long career. So, um, David, thanks so much. It's uh, just been an absolute pleasure, and uh, we stay healthy, stay safe, and and uh, hopefully the NBA will get this uh, bubble thing right, and it won't look like John Travolta and Bubble Boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, we're look, I'm looking forward to it. I just can't wait till there's games to watch. On That's TV, right. Whatever it is, you know, and I mean, in all sports, I'm, I'm still holding out hope for baseball, and, you know, let's let's get some more things to do, you know. I'm Absolutely. I'm tired of just watching the news all the time. And so. hey, we all need to not watch that anymore. Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. I've uh, waited 41 years to ask you all these questions, David. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Let's do it again. You get all right. You have Take a, care. Have a great weekend. Take care, David. All right. You uh, too. All right. Bye-bye. That was good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.